Well, good morning, ZF family and everyone else tuning in. We're in the middle of our series, Reintroducing Jesus, and we're doing this because we all need to be reintroduced to Jesus, sometimes again and again and again, because a fog can go over our minds and our hearts. We can become apathetic to the real Jesus. We can have a distorted picture of who he is. We can, over time, emphasize certain aspects of who he is and neglect others and then have a functional Jesus that's different than the real one. And really, our neighbors and our culture needs to be, uh, they need to be reintroduced to the real Jesus as well, because many of them have a Jesus in their mind that they've gotten from a number of places and people that does not match the real Jesus. And so, uh, this is what we need to do. I mentioned a couple weeks ago in a recent interview um, of Justin Bieber, and here's a picture brought to you by uh, Zayden Wingeter, who drew this in a recent sermon of the Biebs. And uh, I mentioned that I, I don't know where he is spiritually, uh, but I was really encouraged by this interview and the, what he said reflected what is so common in our culture today. And so it's worth taking note of. He mentioned that he knew at some level, at least, that Jesus had died for our sins and he gives forgiveness. And he believed in him at some level, uh, but he never knew really that when you trust in Jesus, you have to turn from your sins, that there's no true faith without obedience and that that Jesus calls us to follow him as disciples. And so when the interviewer asked him when this transformation took place, when he, he changed um, in light of all these things, he said that it was when his vision of Jesus got clearer, when he, when he became uh, clear about who the real Jesus was, not just the Jesus he had come to know from various people. And so I think this is really helpful for us because it shows us that when we start to get to know the real Jesus— uh, it's, he's compelling. And we're actually forced to make a decision whether or not we will follow him or not. But the real Jesus is the one that we want to deal with. And so in this series, we're being reintroduced to Jesus by Jesus himself. So we're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John, where he tells us what he's like. So you can grab your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 14, and we'll look at the first six verses. And to help us review where we've been, here are some drawings from many of you kids from the past couple weeks. So we've heard Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. We've heard him say, I am the light of the world. In some of these pictures you see, we are reminded of Jesus saying that he is the bread of life and that he says that he is the door and the good shepherd. So well done kids for these drawings and helping us remember what Jesus has said. And so this morning, we're turning to Jesus's claim in John 14, verse 6, and he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you can grab a Bible and, and join me here. Let's read it together. And kids, feel free to grab some paper and something to draw with to write down or draw what you learn about Jesus from this text this morning. So the context of this um, section we're going to read in John 14 is the last evening before Jesus is crucified. He's gathered his disciples together. He's having a meal with them and an extended conversation. And really at the heart of what he's doing is he's revealing his heart to them. He's showing them how much he loves them and how he, even though he's leaving, his heart will remain with them. He'll remain committed to them and he'll care for them even when he's gone. And so this is a great encouragement to us as well. So here's a John 14 verses 1 to 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, or believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus is making a radical claim here. So let's think through this claim together and then reflect on it. So we'll see the claim itself. We'll walk through that. And then we'll see that it's comforting, it's personal, it's comprehensive, and it's exclusive-inclusive. So, Let's walk through the claim. Verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. What does he mean? Who is he in light of this? Well, let's look at each part here. First, he's the way. He didn't say that he's found the way. He didn't say that he points to the way. He didn't say that he teaches the way. He says here that he is the way. So this sets Jesus apart in a radical way from every other teacher Um, He's different than a prophet because he's not just claiming to show the way, he's claiming to be the way. And what's his way toward? What do we find when we follow him as the way or come to him as the way? Well, let's look at the context here for a moment. Jesus says in verse two, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So he's talking about departing to be with his father and he's saying there's plenty of room and he's going there. And then he's asked, how do we get there? We don't know the way. And then Jesus answers this way, I'm the way. So he's not focusing here on how there'll be a bunch of mansions in heaven or houses or something like this. His point is that he's going to return the thought to the father and there's plenty of room for us with him. And He's the way to the Father. Now next, he says he's the truth. He doesn't just explain the truth. He doesn't just teach the truth. Again, he claims to be the truth. John opened up his account of the gospel by drawing attention to this. So in John chapter 1, verses 17 to 18, he says that grace and truth have come through Jesus. And then he says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So that's tapping into the mystery of the Trinity. No one has ever seen God. But God, who is at the Father's side, he has made God known. What's going on there? Well, Jesus is God the Son. And he comes to reveal God. He is the one true God who's become a man. And so we believe that God is not just an isolated, solitary being, but he is Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, eternally existing in three persons. And Jesus the Son reveals God to us. When we see Jesus, we see God. We can know God. Jesus in his very being narrates God and explains God and shows God and reveals God to us. He's made him known. He is God's self-expression to us. Finally, Jesus says that he is the life. He's both the source of life and the experience of true life. 
It's not just that he dispenses eternal life to us. It's that knowing Jesus is an essential part of what it means to experience real, true life. And we all know that life, fullness of life, a true life is not just existing, right? True life and at the heart of the good life is relational knowing. It's the experience of joy in relationship with true friendship and love. So this is his radical claim. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now let's walk through the context here and reflect on the significance of this for a, for a few moments here. So first, this is deeply comforting. Jesus and his disciples are gathered together for this final meal. Jesus has just told them that someone's going to betray him. We know that to be Judas. He said that he's going to have to leave them and they're confused about this. And he says that Peter is about to deny him three times. So he's just told them some troubling things. And I don't think that we would expect what he says now at first. Because look right before this. Jesus has said, said that he's going to depart and that they can't go where he's going right now. And then Peter starts talking big. He says at the end of chapter 13, why not? I would lay down my life for you. Right? I'll, I'll go anywhere with you. And Jesus says in John 13, 38, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. So here's Peter with way too much confidence. And Jesus knows that Peter will actually deny him three times in just a few hours. But then what does Jesus say to them right after this? He doesn't rebuke Peter for, directly for this. He doesn't condemn him. He says, in chapter 14, verse 1, the beginning of what we read, let not your hearts be troubled. That is surprisingly gentle. Jesus' agenda here is not to rebuke his disciples for being ignorant or troubled. He is encouraging the trouble out of their hearts. He is loving comfort into their hearts. And then he calls them to trust him here, and he gives promises and this makes this claim that we've looked at here. This is a different vision of Jesus than many of us or many people have in their minds when they think about him. I hear people say things just in normal conversation about their relationship with Jesus. Things like, well, I wasn't just trusting Jesus with this big issue in my life. And then God said to me, well, what do you expect me to do, idiot? Trust me, I got this. Right now, obviously... Uh, it's probably not wise to quote God unless you're quoting the Bible. Uh, that's kind of for starters there. But uh, that also projects our flawed personalities onto God as if he's like us, as if he calls people idiots and kind of smacks us upside the head. Uh, that is not the real Jesus here. He is way more gracious than us. Even when Peter is about to spectacularly fail in trusting and following Jesus, Jesus still says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And this is Jesus' heart to comfort ours. He sees your heart, uh, which in the Bible, that's the animating center of our being, right? It's control center where our deepest thoughts, emotions, desires, wills are. He sees to the depths of who you are and he sees the anxiety stirring there. He sees the trouble in your heart and he cares about that. He cares about you. So if anyone should have had a troubled heart that night, it would have been Jesus. He said that 
just earlier that his heart was troubled because his hour, the hour of his death had come. It was coming. Uh, He's about to go to Gethsemane, a garden where he will pray and pour out his heart to the Father and be deeply troubled. He's being betrayed. He's going to be arrested and mocked and beaten and crucified and experience the wrath of God that we deserve to experience for our sins. And yet he is concerned here about the measure of confusion and trouble in the hearts of his followers. So as you and I feel anxious about our current situation in light of uh, the virus, Jesus invites us to hear his encouragement. He invites us to trust him and he cares about our troubled hearts. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. So this is deeply comforting. Second, this is personal. Jesus isn't just pointing the way or dispensing truth or giving life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So look next at verse 2. He gives this great promise to comfort them. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you and notice the focus here. He doesn't say, I will take you there. His focus is this, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So he is about to leave them, but he assures them that one day he will return. He's preparing a place for us to be with him forever. But the point is not the real estate. What's the point? The point is Jesus. He says, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So the point of heaven And the point of the new creation to come is Jesus. This is deeply relational. And look at Jesus' eagerness to be with us. He's preparing our place for him. He's going to return to bring us to himself. And this is the reason why Jesus came in the first place. He came for many reasons, right? To teach, to be an example, to die for our sins. All of that serves this end, this great purpose for us to be with him forever. And this is because God is a God of love and he's made history to reveal his heart of love. And he's inviting us to experience his love. And one day history will culminate and continue with an eternal future of joy where God will be with his people forever. So this is the promise we need today, especially as we're reminded more and more of death, right? Our culture uh, does not do a good job thinking about death. We often live in denial of it, at least functionally. We put it out of sight. We don't think about it much. We don't know how to. But really, in these last several weeks, we're being forced as a culture and across the globe to think more about the shortness of life and the reality of death. And this is the kind of promise we need in this kind of moment. Jesus wants us to think about death because he prepares us to handle it well. And he gives us this promise for it. So he's preparing us so that we'd have hope. Third, this claim of Jesus's is comprehensive. Think about it. He claims to be the way to the Father. He claims to be the truth and to be the life. He's showing that he is the source of all of the deepest things we seek. Here's how one author named Frederick Bruner put it. He made this great observation. He said, the east uh, looks for the way, right? The Tao. 
The West looks for the truth, the veritas. And everyone always looks for real life. And in Jesus, we find all three. So his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his presence, they show us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the, that's what everyone is seeking. When we come to know Jesus, we find the way to God. We find the source of truth and we find the experience of true life, the life we were really made to live. We find everything that humans have been searching for. So I picture someone coming up to Jesus with kind of the, the weight of humanity's history of searching uh, for what we almost deeply want. And he says to Jesus, I want to know the one true God. And Jesus says, I am the way. And the man says, I want to know truth, true truth. What, what is ultimate reality about? And Jesus says, I am the truth. Ultimate reality is love. And the triune God eternally existing as a God of love. And I came to show you that. I reveal this one true God. The man says, I want to know what it really means to live. To, to have an abundant, full life. The good life. The fullest of life. Forever. And Jesus says, I am the life. Know me. And you find the fullness of life. Now and forever. Life isn't just about things. Life is about relationships and you were made to know the one true God. And so this is because God made us for these desires and therefore Jesus came to be the source of the answers to all of our problems. He came to meet our needs. And so when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, he's showing us that ultimate reality is relational. It's personal. He doesn't just point us to abstractions. He points us to himself. Fourth, uh, this is exclusive-inclusive. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe you caught the exclusivity of Jesus' claim here. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So that sounds exclusive, right? It's excluding those who would not come to the Father through him. You can't get to the Father except through Jesus. So the exclusivity of this claim doesn't land on us well today. But here's why it can really only be this way. Think about it with me. Uh, why is it that, that this really is the only way it could be? And the answer is because salvation itself is relational. Uh, it's not abstract. It's not merely transactional. If salvation were like that, like a transaction, like a money exchange, then we can figure there's lots of ways to get it. But if it's relational and personal, there's only one way to get to know a person. You have to actually go to that person and get to know that person. So if someone wanted to get to know you, how would they go about doing it? Well, they, they couldn't just decide to do it however they'd want, right? They couldn't just decide to, to go outside and think uh, wonderful thoughts of who they think you might be and what you might be like. They couldn't just go to Australia and sit and contemplate for a while. They couldn't just go out and start doing good things, thinking that they'd get some feeling of connectivity uh, with you. They actually have to come to you and get to know you. So if salvation is relational and personal, then we can't just make up how we want to know God or be saved. We have to get to know the real God. And Jesus is saying that he makes known God because he is God the Son. 
and, and also, you know, the nature of salvation has to fit the nature of our problem. And the problem is not just that we need to kind of get our way up to the top of a mountain and there's many paths up there. We don't just need enlightenment or good karma. The problem is actually relational. We've rejected God in our hearts and in our lives, and we deserve it for our eternal separation to take place. And Jesus came to meet this particular real fundamental need. He came to die for our sins, taking the punishment we deserve, and then rise again, conquering death, and then pouring out his spirit on all who will have him to give new life. And he invites us to enter in to the kingdom then that he brings. He came to open up the way to the Father. So this explains why Christianity is exclusive in that sense, because salvation is personal, uh, and our problem is personal. And this actually helps us see how Jesus is actually also radically inclusive, because Jesus said that anyone can get in on this, right? He's not requiring that we search for a path and try to find it. He's not saying that only the strong will make it, or only the people who have reached a certain level of goodness will make it, or those who have not reached that attainment are excluded. Uh, Only those of a certain culture or ethnicity could make it. He's not saying that. He's saying even the weakest can come. Even the worst can come. It's only through Jesus. And remember who Jesus is giving this promise to. He's responding to Peter and Peter's big talk claim of following Jesus with wholehearted commitment even to the end when Jesus knows he's about to deny him not once but three times. So Jesus is giving comfort here for people who stumble and fall and are sometimes bad at following Jesus. Uh, So this is not for the moral elite. This is not for spiritual superstars. This is for people like you and me, for anyone. No matter how much you failed Jesus, it's for anyone who will come to him in faith and repentance. So we want to hold these together. Jesus is exclusive and inclusive, and we have to hold them together. Because if we just hold out the exclusivity of Jesus, that could lead to a form of elitism and pride and a certain kind of tone. And if we just hold on to this exclusivity of Jesus and neglect the exclusive claims of Jesus, uh, then we're not really dealing with real salvation or the real problem that we have. Um, We want the real Jesus. So maybe we'll end this way. One more note. This is all worth sharing. Uh, The world needs to be reintroduced to this Jesus. People need to know about him. They, they They need to be restored to the Father and there is no other way. Jesus is saying he is the way to the Father. He does not say your good works being um, will be enough to to get to the Father. It's just through Jesus. So we need to tell people about him. And we actually have to use words to tell people about the real Jesus or, or help people read the Bible for themselves to know the real Jesus. Because Jesus also doesn't say in places, you know, if you go out there and live good lives and serve well, people will see those good works and be restored to the Father. No, that should be adorning the gospel, as the Apostle Paul puts it. It should provoke people to wonder what's going on in our lives, that they'd be transformed in this way. It should confirm the message of the gospel, that Jesus does transform us and make us like him to serve and do good works. But no one will be saved without hearing about Jesus. No one will be saved without hearing 
about the real Jesus who has a heart of love for sinners and who gave his life for us on the cross and who rose again and he welcomes us by faith. And so we have this great privilege of sharing this message with others. And so if you are learning about Jesus for the first time this morning or in these past few weeks, I encourage you, uh, if you have a Christian friend, to open up a conversation with him or her and talk to them about their, ask them their story, how did they get to know the real Jesus? Uh, Open up the Bible and read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or maybe all of them, and just read through one of those um, and, and be confronted and challenged by who the real Jesus is. And then go to the Father through him. Uh, and pray. Confess your sin to him. Acknowledge that you have rejected him in your life and that uh, he welcomes you by faith and so you'll trust him. And then I encourage you to find a local church community. We'd love to have you plugged in and connected with us. And you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to be in touch. And get baptized, which is going under the water and coming up again. And baptism is a symbol of being united to Jesus and united to his people in a church. Uh, So I'd encourage you to do that. And you can do this personally. You can do that even this morning, trusting in him. Well, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus. We thank you that you have met our deepest longings and our deepest problems in Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the way and the truth, and the life that we need. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to follow your Son, to trust in you. We pray that you do this by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we respond to that message, I love this last song that we're going to sing together. Let's offer it as a prayer to the Lord. It says at the end, Oh, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. So let's sing this song together as we close today. was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to for me.
Well, hopefully by now you are already thinking about uh, who you might reach out to um, and encourage. So let's take some time now for fellowship. Uh, reach out to a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, uh, and ask them how you might be able to pray for them and encourage them. Um, and let's also reach out to someone who doesn't yet know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth and the life. Um, so first, let me close with a benediction for us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Go in peace.